Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the new Steven Soderbergh film, which is Logan Lucky, starring Channing Tatum, Adam Driver, and Daniel Craig. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Teekman. Hello there again, everybody, and welcome into episode 124 of Film Tank. I am Alex Teekman, along with my guy, Nick Cheney. Well, hello there. Okay. Thanks. After the crowd noise. <laughs> yeah, I just... There was no follow-up for that? No, I, I got a little sad when I saw you do that gesture. Why? Um, It just felt like you were really reaching there for something greater than you were capable of. And, uh... Well, you're a horrible <laughs> person. I've never claimed to be the opposite. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you're like one of those people who hated the female Ghostbusters. You're just... That's not true. I actually like the female Ghostbusters. Well, I said you're like one oh, of those people. okay. I didn't say you were one I'm of like, those monsters. I'm like one of those people, except I don't apparently share the defining characteristic of this entire population. But sure, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, not about that film, but about other films. Oh, yes. Okay. And, you know, people. Groups of people. Particularly people who have... You know, bad I, taste in movies. I, yeah, uh, I'm just going too deep down here. I've got so. nothing. Yeah, really you, to you offer. really. It's all been downhill since that crowd noise. So, well, yeah, because that was good, and then after that was bad. See, I think this is the same kind of thinking that got you onto this tangent, and I'm just trying to help. I'm trying to get you away from it, man. Why are you doing like a Bill Clinton voice now? I don't know. I'm just trying to get you away from this man. Cigars and saxophone. I Let me just yeah. say, Soderbergh is one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. <laughs> okay. All right, no more Bill You're Clinton be in person. you me Lucky Logan in a minute. <laughs> that Riley Kia. Oh. Elvis's granddaughter. We don't talk about royalty like that. <laughs> do I have to do the whole episode like this now? <laughs> I wish you wouldn't, but... That's yeah. not the response I was hoping for. <laughs> a little bit on the dress, a little bit on the shoes. Oh, dear. So, anyways... I did not commit this house. <laughs> I can't stop now. This is not good. No, it's okay. not. You I'm done. Correct. Never going to do another impression. <laughs> that was good. That was the Dana Carvey, George Bush thing. No, uh, Ross Perot. Pardon is that me. what that was? Yeah. Look at that. Not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, we're off to a great start. No, this is, this is, this is vintage film tank. Yeah. That's what this is right here. Yeah. This is good. Yep. So the film we are talking about today is Logan Lucky, which is Steven Soderbergh's triumphant return to the cinema. Have you heard of this guy? He is a firecracker. I thought we were done. I thought, I we, thought were... we were done. It's weird. It's like second nature now. I think I am Bill Clinton. I, I don't know. Are you sure? He was the president. I mean, yeah. I have weird dreams where I feel like I, you know, like maybe in an alternate reality, our bodies are switched. Really? But not our minds. It's kind of like a Freaky Friday situation. So you would become the former president of the United States, and he would become he would become a the future president of the (laughs) United States. Well, as we've seen, anybody can become president. I was going to say my chances are looking a lot better as of 2016. Well, if the U.S. is still here, so you know, oh Donald, yeah, you know, just checking out eclipses and. Things and sides of many sides. Did you see that when there was an eclipse in the nineties? They practically glued those to my face, and this little fucker's out there just staring right at it. Well, as we, as again, as we we found out from 
uh, that very amazing news source that uh, Tucker Carlson works for. It's the most amazing. Fake news. Well, it's the most amazing thing he's ever seen. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just our president. He's able to look at it, and he doesn't need the glass. It that almost felt like a Russia moment, where it's like, look, look at that, Putin. See, he found that he found that item in the ocean. It wasn't someone else who just left oh, it there, man. and he picked it up. He, he's just <laughs> Jesus Christ. There was a great uh, viral clip going around. I forget who it was, but one of the Fox News networks. Um, the host was like basically forced to do uh, solar eclipse, you know, stories, and it was pretty much all that was right. On Monday, but he was not into it. He was <laughs> like very deliberately reading the copy of like, okay, you know, here I think this is the moment of t- totality, I and mean, then it would happen, I and mean, then he's like, wow, that was definitely exactly what we all thought it would be. Not much to look at there, but there's a lot of people out there. And he just started commenting on how basically everybody had no lives, and it was. Uh, I found it entertaining. I was gonna say, actually, that's probably the closest I've ever been to agreeing. It's with weird that Fox it's, News. I was says. gonna say Fox News can't get real news right, but it did accurately cover the solar eclipse for the most part. Yeah, good. Well, they finally they've done it. But climate change doesn't exist because no. it's very hard to predict. Where this world will be at any given point in time. Do I have to do the Bill Clinton impression again? No, oh, okay. you really don't. Sorry. I was—I thought maybe you were going to take over. No, I am. I'm just going to read the Logan Lucky things. Oh, here, so okay. If we want to, that makes sense. We don't have to. We can just do the whole episode like this. We don't have to talk about the movie at all. I think these are great ideas. Okay, but so. Uh, the film, Logan Lucky, again, directed by Steven Soderbergh. I'm sure he did a lot Stevie, of other things. Stevie. Yeah, a lot of other things here uh, that he didn't take credit for, as per usual. Do you see Miss Roberts and Aaron Brockovich? Can, can you just... <laughs> nope, I'm done. Yeah, thank Promise. you. Do you really? Hmm? Yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, the film centers around two brothers as they attempt to pull off a heist during a NASCAR race in North Carolina. The film stars Channing Tatum and Adam Driver as Jimmy and Clyde Logan, and also features Daniel Craig as Joe Bang, as he was introduced. I like that name. Daniel Craig as Joe Bang. Riley Keough also here as well, playing the Logan sister, uh, Melly. Also, we have Katie Holmes making a very interesting appearance, as haven't heard as from her, her in a little while. As her character from The Dark. Uh, or from Batman Begins. Really? Yep. She's playing, uh, now I forget her name. Cause I Rachel don't... Dawes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. She kind of moved to the suburbs, you know. Uh-huh. What? Well, she was blown away in the second film. <sighs> that I... was a reincarnation. That wasn't <laughs> so, the same. So the reincarnation got blown away. Yes, but Katie Holmes, Rachel Dawes. Still just, alive. That's, it was actually a cover-up. She's in witness protection. Mm-hmm. And but they thought that Bruce would notice if she just disappeared, mm-hmm. so they got one of their agents to play Rachel Dawes. It's getting really deep here. Well, that's how deep Gotham goes, man. It's cor- fucking corrupt. Okay. Also making appearances here are Catherine Waterston, <laughs> Dwight Yoakam. Yeah. I thought making a pretty wonderful appearance of Panic Room fame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the zenith of his career of as an entertainer. Uh, <laughs> As an entertainer. They're going to say his appearance in the two Crank films, because those are also great. Is he in those? Yeah. Damn. I have those on my shelf, because I've always wanted to watch them. Oh, you've never seen them? Because I've seen the scene in which um, Jason Statham has to uh, have sex with Amy Smart in a supermarket. Somehow that is the only scene I have seen there you go. in both movies. But I know that they would be right up my alley, so I one day bought the Blu-ray of like all I enjoyed both. Those two I saw both in like the five bucks. I saw both in the theater. I did start watching the first one the other day and like this is before the era of GoPro, but like was it filmed on some kind of like weird not like not even not high definition, but it, it felt like it was filmed on a GoPro because it yeah, just it's has a, this weird it, it try, yeah. colorization thing too. I was gonna say it tries really hard to give the jumble like the you're feel. there. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it was. Um, and then also the last person I'll mention is <laughs> Seth MacFarlane, <laughs> Nick's favorite physical performer. I didn't mind him in this movie mm-hmm. compared to most of the other things. Well, he's been. if you look at some of the other <laughs> films he's been in, it's not good. Speaking oh, of that, yeah. spe- 
Jones. Why did he have an English accent? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that was not good. No, it wasn't. Um, but I don't know. I, I really don't know. But Are you I, pumped, by the way, for the Orville? Uh, no. I didn't think so. Like I'm, I'm, intri- I'm intrigued by that idea as a film, or pff, as a TV show, because mm-hmm. um, I do think there are some laughs to be had from a classically structured Star Trek-esque show paired with laughs. Like, we actually saw it with Outer Space, uh, which was a Yahoo screen exclusive that only lasted one season, which is too bad because that show was actually funny, and then they canceled it because nobody watched it. But this will definitely be much more of a crowd pleaser than that was. Hmm. Um, Because, like, Outer Space, you kind of had to be a geek to get it because, like, there were two robots voiced by two of the people that were in Mystery Science Theater 3000, so it was fun to see robot, what they became famous for doing robot voices, mm-hmm. being different robots in another space show, and little things like that, or like um, Dave Franco as a character who gets killed off at like the fourth episode, so little, yeah. But this seems pretty hokey. Um, I don't think it'll be as grating as like, because he can't do the whole family guy, like whip pan flashback thing. Maybe. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but yeah, I'll probably end up watching the first episode just to see. See what it is. Yeah. Okay. But the fact that he's the lead does not Take away. Like, entice me. Yeah. It's it's weird. Like, even though he's obviously the lead in, like, Family Guy and, you know, even Ted or whatever. Like, when it's just his voice, I kind of get it as far as, like, what can be funny about Seth MacFarlane. But when he puts his face on camera, Very bad. he doesn't realize that he has one of the most punchable faces. <laughs> and it's very unfortunate. Which is the character who's playing here, so it all kind of worked yeah, out. but you could have gotten another punchable person. Probably. And then you could have actually built some pathos around it. I'm never going to feel bad for anybody played by Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> That's literally why Steven Soderbergh casted him in this role, where he's supposed to just do a funny accent and then be punched in the face. It's like twice. He fit the bill. There you go. So Steven Soderbergh had <laughs> retired uh, following... Uh, behind the Candelabra, when that came out in Side effects 2013. was his like, big theatrical swan song. This is yeah. the first time he's been in theater since then. But yeah, then because Behind the Candelabra was too gay for America. That came out technically after, but yes. Uh, and then he obviously was involved with the TV series The Nick. Directed now, every episode, which is actually a big... <laughs> you don't usually retire and then agree to direct yeah. uh, an entire show. Yeah. But uh, he is going to be obviously back in to the directorial film scene as he's got this film that's already out and a couple other ones in the pipeline already. So he's pretty much just all the way back. So We'll see. Um, not because I don't think he would come back, but part of the reason why he did this, he's been stating in interviews, is because he's trying to launch his own distribution company that does things a lot differently than a normal mainstream company. And this is his like one of his least grossing uh, films in quite some time, if not ever, I think, uh, mm-hmm. box office-wise. So, yeah, I don't know if it's really paid off or not, but we'll mm. we'll see. I'm, I mean, he'll be back. I'm guessing he'll be making other films. But I think so. I could see him going back to TV for a while, and then yeah. back to film. And... So, Steven, you are a Steven. Steven. So, Nick. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're talking to him. Yeah, he's right here with us. Well, Steven, awesome. we know you listen. Yeah, we know you're a big fan of this <laughs> podcast. You're one of the four listeners That's right. that we have on a weekly basis. So mm-hmm. This is great. Mm-hmm. I wish I had given a real number, but it's actually lower than that. Um, so, Nick, I know you are a pretty big Steven Soderbergh fan, and we haven't really talked that much about him. On no, Film I don't think Tank. we've ever covered a movie. No, we've hit on him in episodes talking about specific films, but yeah. I don't think we've actually ever done a fi- uh, an episode on him. Yeah. On him, but I know you're a really big fan, uh, and He's... I actually am a fan of a lot of his works as well. So I, I guess why you include talking about him as a film creator or TV creator or whatever you want to talk about him as. I want to talk uh, about in, him as a lover. There, that too. Uh, in your opening remarks, talking about Logan Lucky. Thank you. Um, I 
<laughs> Let's see here. I'm a huge fan of Steven Soderbergh. He's probably, I haven't done the list, but he's probably in my top five directors of all time. Like, I I love everything that he does, you know, to varying degrees for sure. But he is one of the most talented filmmakers, I think, ever. Because even someone, for example, that I think may make, like, more films that are, like, either up my alley or just more, like, spellbinding, so to speak, like like a David Lynch or something like that. I feel like they're less great filmmakers, which they are that, but more just tapping into something that no one else is doing, whereas Soderbergh has seen movies and basically cribbed all the right things so that he made his own style. I'm not saying that he uh, mm-hmm. necessarily a, like a copycat, but he is one of the times when I watch a director and I can tell, like when I watch Martin Scorsese, like him, um, that this person knows movies inside and out, how they work, uh, you know, which ones he likes and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's pretty evident when you go through his filmography of what he's done. I mean, he's done the Oceans movies, um, he's done Side Effects, he's done uh, Haywire. I mean, that's, you know, heist to... I was going to say, he's got, you know, if you look at his (coughs) career, you've got such a wide spectrum you can go all the way from traffic to the informant and it's two completely different films and there's all kinds of stuff in between and it's yeah yeah. and it's clear that um he was able to do most of this in the mainstream like Mm -hmm. the things he's able to do because i'm not saying they're so crazy or so esoteric but he does kind of push the limits of like what a mainstream audience I think wants out of their movies because I think he's able to successfully create some of the most endearing pieces of cinema. You know, like they suck you in beyond the fact that you realize you just watched, you know, like whether it's a crowd pleaser like Aaron Brockovich, which is just your average, not like courtroom movie, but, you know, um, day in the life of a civil rights predicament type mm-hmm. thing. and um, Or even traffic with the war on drugs. Like that, that's kind of a, a remarkable, at the time, uh, did it win Best Picture? Traffic? Yeah. No. no, okay. But it was a huge awards baby as far as I, I remember it was always up for award like best director um, yeah Benicio Del Toro won for best supporting actor for yes. that um, and then and it was nominated for pretty much every major that's award like, that year I don't even remember what won that year I just remembered Traffic was nominated for a, a bajillion things yeah. and that was way before I was and it won it. four Oscars including best director okay. for Steven Soderbergh so and um, and I remember like that movie like that is such a weird thing because I remember when that movie came out. How many people? I mean, I'm not saying it was like the tit- uh, like Titanic or anything like that, but just how much buzz that movie got. To where I know my parents went and saw it in the theaters, and and then I remember when I, I saw it in the theater, you saw it in the theater, and yeah. I remember when I went and finally saw it like years later because I was only probably like 13 yeah. or something, so I wouldn't have really been interested in it. Um, and I just remember thinking like, this is the movie that. In a like good way, but that 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 people were like passing on from friend to friend, saying you got to go see it. So I I think he has this weird. By the way, best picture was Gladiator for that year. <laughs> oh Scott. <laughs> um. So you know, I just think he's got this wonderful chameleon-like quality where he makes movies for the masses, but he makes them better than just about anybody in his class and. Logan Lucky, for me, was no different. Um, I This was actually probably one of my favorite outings of his. Um, I guess not necessarily like in my top five of his films, because he's made so many uh, amazing films, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But this did actually marry what I like most about him uh, as a filmmaker. It had his perfect Ocean's heist feel to it uh, from start to finish, I thought. But it was more closer to his later day works where he goes for this kind of southern regionality working class type and where even if it's not necessarily as indulgent as something like like the first Magic Mike and which even though it's not his film his imprint is all over the second one as well uh, where the um, or Aaron Brockovich or I'm trying to think of some other ones uh, but 
Now I'm blanking. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, but he's been interested in that as of late. And I actually love the way that those two fit together. Um, I thought as a heist movie, it was really fun. I thought it was clever. I thought it flowed amazingly, which is the only thing you really like require from a Steven Soderbergh, you know, heist movie is that is this going to be edited to where it's basically just pure ecstasy going from scene to scene and whatnot. Um, and you know, anybody can call the movie slight or lacking in characterization, but I think if they rewatch it, it's not really meant to be a character piece. This movie is so finely tuned that I, when I, I've seen it twice now, Mm -hmm. There were scenes that I thought were meaningless in the first time around that I still really enjoyed because I pretty much like these actors and whatnot mm-hmm. that I realized all had a purpose, if not always serving character, always serving plot. I mean, the first line in the movie is the daughter saying, that's a good song, Daddy, but I don't think I can sing that in my pageant. you know. And, of course, that's what she does sing in the pageant. Uh, little things like that where you think that these little moments are... I just think if people are criticizing it for being a character piece, it's really not meant to be. It is, Steven Soderbergh does one, well, does a lot of things well, but the thing he does the best, I think, is and the reason why he's so finely attuned to heist movies and kind of is the modern godfather of what heist movies look like now, mm-hmm. um, is because he is a Danny Ocean. He knows how to put a group of people together and fooling the audience into thinking that what they're watching or experiencing is almost more worthwhile than it is. And um, I just think he's a master showmanship. And I've got a lot of things to say about this movie. But in general, if anybody likes Soderbergh, if anybody likes the Ocean's movie, I can't imagine you going to see this and like disliking it, even if you don't like it as much as I did. Yeah. So those are my opening thoughts. So, just hitting on Soderbergh in general, um, looking through his career in terms of being a filmmaker is is I'm much of a bigger fan of film than television, and he hasn't had like a huge television career in you know the recent two decades. Um, you know, it, it's amazing looking back through his entire filmography as a director that how many major films he has done. Um, even something that I haven't seen that I've always wanted to, like the Limey, which you've talked oh, about previously, fantastic. which yep. you've said is a very good film. Yep. But you look from start to finish, really. Um, it's only recently that he's made some films that I was kind of eh on. Like Out of Sight, I think, is a really good film. All of the Oceans films I really like. I really enjoy The Informant. I really enjoy Traffic. In fact, I think Traffic and The Informant are both fantastic films that are just outside my top 50 all time. Um, And I love Behind the Candelabra. And Side Effects is really the only film of his that I've seen that I've been kind of meh on. And I would say that Logan Lucky doesn't fall into that camp, even though I felt like I didn't love it as much as some of his previous films. But... There are a lot of directors out there, especially now with um, the kind of story structure you get from some of these films that are being made from smart directors these days that are not going to always please you the first time through. And not saying that Logan Lucky is a bad film to see in the theater or anything like that. But I think this is a film, just like The Informant, that is made better when you know the characters when you're watching the film. You know, the first time you go through this, the only characters that really jump off the page are Adam Driver and Daniel Craig's characters as they are meant to be noticed throughout their, even though they're playing their characters much differently. Um, They've got very easy to read punchlines. You did cook the bacon the way I like it. Yeah, and very very easy to read punchlines and... They're, they're crowd-pleasing characters where other characters throughout this film, uh, specifically the main character, Channing Tatum, you're going to have to watch it more times to really, I think, grasp the full effect of what Steven Soderbergh is going for in this piece. Um, only seeing it once probably takes away a little bit from it for me because again this is a film that you need to see probably at least a couple times to truly appreciate but I still thought this was a quite good film that had plenty of funny moments and intrigue throughout 
But if you are expecting something like the Oceans films, uh, this is not going to be exactly that because this is a totally different side of the heist film uh, when it comes to having something look cool and explaining exactly what happened and how cool these guys are. And I know, Nick, you hit on this right after you saw the film when we were talking about it, that this is more the other side of the heist as this is, you know putting a bunch of stuff in a bag in there and having it explode where these guys go and find a small Asian man that they can have crawl through the, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's a different budget involved, yeah, involved with them. And there's a different, uh, tone to this entire film. And, you know, I think that's part of why it isn't my favorite work of his. Ocean Seven Eleven. Yeah, that was great. Uh, and, the problem is is that I have such an affinity for the Oceans films and the characters in them that by the time I saw the third one, it didn't really matter what they did. I was always going to enjoy it because it had Danny Rusty and the rest of the crew back. Where here, you're just trying to find out who these people are and what motivates them. So it's definitely a film that I'm interested in thinking about more and, and seeing again. And in all likelihood, purchasing because it's it's definitely worth it. It's definitely good work. Um, but even on a second watch, I don't think this is Sudwerk's best work. So yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I really liked about mm-hmm. Logan Lucky is that, and I think I kind of mentioned it after we saw the movie, is that like I like I think the Ocean's movies, uh, as done by Soderbergh. Um, although I am a fan of the original, and I think you liked it too when we watched it, didn't you? Yeah, it's definitely way different. Oh yeah, but it's, it's um, a weirdly uh, it's very enjoyable. And there's also very odd <laughs> parts of that film, like the uh, the solo by Sammy Davis Jr., uh, which I yeah, which I remember quite enjoying and didn't fit the tone of the rest of the film. No, like it's it, a great scene, but yeah, yeah it's a weird, uh, it's a weird showstopper. But yeah, it was kind of a musical because you had all the Rat Pack in there. Um, I and they were say, all definitely drunk during the entire oh, film yeah. too. Yes, yes, I will say the thing that Soderbergh not steals but takes from the original because he pretty much trashes everything else other than the plot or the premise is that he did find the you know 40 years later equivalent of the stars you want to see in one room together just hanging out and fucking around like that was what that was like with those guys back in the 60s uh, mm-hmm. with the rad pack and the whole uh Clooney pit uh even damon who was kind of a newcomer i mean certainly he was a known name but it was actually joked about throughout the entire yeah. series <laughs> um so and yeah maybe played that up um but that was like the one thing he took from that original that he i thought did very very well so um one thing i'll say about the oceans movie that i think is important to realize is i think his oceans movie is like one of the hardest cinematic tricks to pull off because we have to watch and i know this sounds maybe silly if you say it out loud but we have to watch like the most beautiful people be like insufferably clever for two hours and we have to consistently be in awe of them from start to finish and yet we like that's the experience that he's going for we also have to be duped by them so how does he as a scriptwriter and as a director make us think that they're cool from start to finish and in every scene without obviously letting us in on the actual apex of like yeah. what but, they're doing which only really um even though you love the second film, Ocean's 12, really is only truly accomplished all the way probably in the first film. As in the second film, uh, it's kind of a, a lame answer to it, but it totally makes sense for that film. But in terms of what you're going for is in terms of duping the audience and having this great reveal, only the first film probably actually truly accomplishes that. No? Okay. Well, so, I, I just, yeah. I, I love the second one no, and, too and, much where I almost think that they're equally brilliant, and I'm the only person who thinks that. Well, no, it's not about it being, because I actually have come to enjoy Ocean's 12 a lot more. I'm just saying that conversation between uh, Tess, Danny, and the Night Fox at the end is I'm pretty sure a lot of people in, in the theater during that movie were like, seriously? Whereas, like, that's, that movie basically telling the audience... <laughs> 
yeah, we outsmarted you so bad that you thought you were tr- figuring something out when in really <laughs> there was nothing to figure out. Yeah, no, and... and, and Which is a completely yeah. different kind of yeah. duping and one that I think is slightly more infuriating than the, <laughs> the first one where it's just actually fucking clever. And, what, right, which know, is kind of what I was getting at. Which so, I, I get, yeah. uh-huh. um, but I, I just like pissing people off more than I like I, them feeling smart. We all know, so that's fine. <laughs> um, but when you're, yeah, so when you're making the Ocean's movie, like, and you still have to make that enjoyable, which is also why a lot of people didn't like Ocean's 12, because that was actually a movie where, like you're saying, it wasn't as clever, uh, at least I would think immediately so. Um, but you have to watch beautiful people, get to take crazy vacations, and just hang around with each other. So here, what I kind of like is that Logan Lucky... Uh, the heist found within feels like an extension of these characters because it doesn't ever like it's smooth it's breezy it is a lot of fun but when you're watching it it almost seems like this is the kind of dukes of hazards to the ocean's mission impossible to use some tv references (laughs) um and so you're you're kind of underestimating the logan brothers because you go through this whole thing and even Soderbergh waits until after a denouement uh, before even revealing just kind of how much of a charade some of the parts were and whatnot. And I thought that was actually pretty clever because he kind of wraps it up before he tips his hand as to how smart the Logan brothers are. And that in and of itself I thought was kind of a wonderful little uh, almost thematic parallel to the movie itself where you may go in thinking you're just getting the Dukes of Hazzards, but because you underestimate them, that's how they're able to get the drop on you. And there's actually slightly more going on underneath the surface of their crazy uh, robbing a bank checklist and the uh, um, agreements made over breakfast or moral imperatives and all these crazy little side conversations, which are very apropos of Soderbergh in heist movies. And we, you know, in, uh, the Ocean movie, we have things like them trying to figure out who's on a $10 bill or <laughs> just whatever random tangents they go on. But when they're doing it, it seems funny or clever. And whenever we're seeing it in Logan Lucky, I think it's funny, but we're thinking they're dumb and whatnot. Um, so I like the way that the movie plays around with, I think, the audience ex- expectations of what Soderbergh can deliver, but also of the characters that he's putting in this vehicle. Um Something that I definitely wanted to to mention here is that the actual heist itself is not the most interesting part of this film. Uh, it's it's kind of just has to be there because yeah. this is a heist film. It so is very working class like. Yeah. Well, and the 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 other thing is is that we have the setup for it, and we have some, some interesting moments, especially the the cockroaches and the cake, uh, and then you have the brothers coming in. Uh, I personally liked when they were making the explosive and throwing it into the uh the generator Step that five run yes what? <laughs> uh but you know this is the exact opposite of of the oceans film specifically <laughs> the first one where the the actual heist is the most interesting part of the film where here yeah. it just kind of has to happen because they have to find a time to steal the money yeah and other than uh, the moment where the tube comes flying back at M Driver, which was fantastic, and then we have the whole sign of "Oh, I twisted the bag too many times," <laughs> which was also hilarious. Yeah. Um, the whole actual physical heist is pretty, pretty boring. Is them just blowing money into bags and then yeah, leaving with it? Not sexy. It's no, not whatever. But uh, at the same time, you have so much going on around the heist. Uh, that's much more interesting. The jailbreak, I would say, was well, yeah. actually slightly more ingenious. Um, because I, like, when 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 I was watching the movie, I'm like, the heist, even though I didn't know exactly how they were going to do it, I could easily conceive of what they might do, whether it be blow up a wall, or which they almost did, whatnot, and a few other whatever. But it was the jailbreak when, they're, when you know, Joe Bang's like, you mean you're going to break me out in broad daylight? And then return me. And I was like, holy shit, how are they going to do that? And what ends up being the answer is actually pretty simple. So I like that it wasn't like anything crazy, but it all makes sense with the fireman costumes. and Yeah. And you have the small little payoffs that you've found in other uh, films, just like the Oceans films, which are, are a great little sort of hat tip to those, uh, as with the woman who was pissing off him in the earlier <laughs> part of the film gets pulled over, yes. which uh, is actually kind of just a silly one-off coincidence but 
Uh, also, too, you have the people who are pulling them over, actual NASCAR drivers, which I thought was wonderful. <laughs> that so I did not know. Yeah. Those are the two cops? Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, one of them is the one who uh, won the race that I just went to this past week. Really? Yep. Oh, that's great. So that's interesting. I love one of the the one who's doing the actual pullover. I loved his line delivery. Yeah. Uh, when he's talking to the guy and he's like, excuse me, we have to detain this lady. Yeah. That's Carl Edwards, who used to be my one of my favorite uh, drivers who yeah. like, kind of retired. But yeah, I, I've got a couple of his cars in here. Oh, uh, I've got a ca- car collection for now. I'm trying to move it to, uh, to my <laughs> to other house. residence. Yes, yeah. but I've still got it here. And I've got a, I've got. Yeah, you got quite a few. 99? Those, those two right there are his old cars. So Aww. so there you go. Look at that. Look at that little connection. And was that Jeff Gordon as one of the commentators? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. He was the only one I could barely recognize. I yeah. say barely because I barely know, but I'm like, yeah. I feel like this, Jeff Gordon. And then there was uh, a security guard at some point was played by another driver. His name is Brad Kozlowski. Okay. So you had some actual And that's par for the course for in. Soderbergh um, where I think his casting is always one step removed from an in-joke where it's more like he knows like why why not have Paul F. Tompkins be a lawyer for one scene only or uh, Pat Oswald in the uh, in the informant and mm-hmm. other little bits like that where it's I think it's Well better. it makes sense. I mean even though that the Or the Oceans movie. Yeah. Their celebrity casting. Yeah. Uh, the the NASCAR thing is not really, uh, it's kind of just happens to be there a little bit because they're at a NASCAR track. Uh, we do have the small-ish scenes uh, involving the Winter Soldier, who is here for whatever reason, Sebastian Stan. Um, and he's fine, but he's only in this movie for like two and a half minutes. Yeah. Uh, but I I love the, uh, the funniest part about his character involves a scene that he doesn't even partake in, which is uh, the scene where uh, we have Seth MacFarlane talking to Hillary Swank and also another great person who is here, which Macon is Blair. Macon Blair, who plays the other FBI agent who um, we've seen previously in Blue Ruin and Green Room and directed uh, a film we reviewed uh, about a month and a half ago called I Don't Feel at Home, feel in, at this home in This World Anymore. Mm-hmm. But him and Hillary Swank are kind of taking down his story, and he tells them that, oh, just go talk to the driver. He can back my story. Well, we actually talked to him already, and he said he had no fucking idea what you were talking about. So yeah. that was actually I gotta admit, great. I don't think everybody's going to look for Hillary Swank's casting in this, but I like the visual image of her and Macon Blair. Like It felt like a very dorky version of Gone Girl, like with the, you know, with those two, um, mm-hmm. uh, I forget who, I think it was Kim Dickens and, yes. um, the guy from, the guy from Almost Famous, Almost Famous as like the two cops going around, whatever, I don't know, it just felt like a, not that that's what he was going Hillary, for. Hillary Swank has not been in a lot of major films in the last four or five years. No. So, yeah, she's, I mean, not that she has been completely off the map since winning an Oscar because she's been in things, but recently she's really yeah. been off the map. So yeah. I didn't mind her. Okay, yeah. Did Did you or no? Or no, you're kind of. I mean, of, she oh, wasn't okay. like one of my favorite parts of this movie, but her voice, I think, some people would maybe thought would have been like. I guess that's just her voice hmm. for the most part, but I think some people would have. I think a take offense to the fact that like the movie was almost over, so like her twenty minute stretch happens after the heist, because that's kind of what the biggest drawback I've heard from various moviegoers who are like the movie didn't end after the heist, and then Hillary Swank shows up for twenty minutes, and I'm like I actually found that enjoyable because I mean that's that's well first of all that's what makes this particular film stand out a little bit I would think yeah and at the same time I mean you kind of need that here because again as I already mentioned my feelings on it. The heist really is just kind of a very small aspect of the well, film. Well, and the heist goes beyond the actual heist. Like, mm-hmm. Danny Ocean was able with his... No, they stole the money and they kept 11 it. 11 people. Yeah. No, they stole the money and they <laughs> right. kept it. Were they able here... to just literally walk away with it? Yeah. That literally couldn't happen here, and it was still part of the heist to basically let that investigation well, fizzle out. And and. You have some other ideas happening here. Um, something that I noticed, uh, and it's not a direct parallel, but I'm sure Steven Soderbergh has seen uh, a fantastic heist film, which is Heat, uh, and is well aware of kind of the whole plot line behind that, 
where the thieves steal the money and then eventually give it back, uh, sell it back for a percentage, yep. and then the other people make money off the insurance and everybody, which uh, really only hit home to me feeling that way, because obviously him giving the money back could just be him feeling bad about it when we see it happening for the first time uh, at the yeah. end. But uh, when you have the guy who represents the tr- uh, racetrack being like, well, the insurance already paid it. So how can the insurance pay it if you don't have the exact number? Which was a great payoff. That's way above my pay grade. <laughs> yeah. But even that alone with a payoff to their highs because they purposely damage the credit card, not, yeah. which at first you think is just so that they exchange cash. Mm-hmm. But it, you kind of figure out that it's not just that. It's so that it will obviously be cash only to a ridiculous volume that they're never going to count it on the day of. Oh, it's because you literally have the side character say to one of the cashiers, okay, they said they'll count it later, so just keep uh, yeah. taking cash. Because and... they won't have an actual count. So right, so. But, that, but that brought me back to, to Heat, yeah. uh, which is a much different film than this, but it's definitely involved in the idea of not just keeping the money and you actually end up giving it back and for a return of some sort of uh, financial gain. Yeah, and I loved that aspect as far as the whole, um, like, him giving it back, which, yes, uh, upon first glance, you think, oh, maybe he's not the Danny Ocean, like, he felt bad and whatnot. Um, But I think it perfectly goes in line with, like, the beginning of the movie and Soderbergh's, I think, interest in working-class blues and sticking it to a capitalist system that... That is actually the greed is what undoes them. Uh, not that's not literally. It's not like they get taken down, but that's you know the shade that gets thrown their way because that they would actually not count their money and then try to claim insurance on money that they already got. So, um, the ending of this film, the very final scene, which is the denouement or the denouement yeah. of this film. Yeah. Which definitely had an Ocean's Twelve feel to me, as they're meeting at the bar all yep. at the end, and like they've all been friends forever. Like every character you've seen in the movie, <laughs> yep. pretty much. Um, even uh, Michelle Waterston, who's seems like she shouldn't. Did have... you say Michelle Waterston? Yeah, Catherine. Waters? Catherine Waterston. I'm sorry. <laughs> like who's Michelle? Yeah, is there a... another one? No, there is a different. There's a uh, UFC fighter. His name is Michelle Waterston. Yeah. Sorry. Catherine Waterston, who shows up. This is who, not Haywire. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Because of Gina Carano. Yeah, I got you. Uh, who, I felt kind of weird about her character because it seemed bizarre that she would take that money, but apparently she was cool with it. Did she? I, I mean, she I had think it. She did? She, well, she got the packet of the money from... Oh, wait, Catherine Waterston. I was yeah. thinking of Hillary Swank. No, no, no. Like, wait, what? No, yeah, So yeah. that's where I was going with that, yeah, though, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, the, is the finale of this film where we have Hillary Swank there, but it's, it's a little... Donation. They get yeah. donations all the time. Sure. They literally said that as a line. I'm, they just get bags of $100 bills that I'm are not saying it doesn't look weird, but it's not like they don't get free money. And then she just happens to be dating Channing Tatum at the end. Well, he put the band-aids on it. <laughs> So I she thought you said put the bread on the table. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Put the bread on the table. Yeah. No. Uh, but I do think the final scene is pretty ambiguous, actually, about yeah. what exactly is, is happening. Because on one hand, for sure, Hillary Swank could be just doing a further investigation beyond yeah. what she's supposed to be. But on the other hand, is she... Not that she's been in on it or anything. No, but she was able to let that investigation go so to speak right okay you want my take sure my own personal all right my okay i have two things to say to that okay the first thing and this is not actually what i believe in but i think it's interesting if you want to believe that she's in on it one thing that's interesting when you rewatch it is that macon blair is almost always making the next step it's him that goes into the safe and tells her, hey, we found this over here. And it's him once again saying that he called the driver. And then one other thing, like she's always there and she's always like, yeah. But it's usually making Blair and almost all those scenes actually making the next step, which I thought was kind of interesting. If you're believing in the, she's just a silent bystander making sure that it doesn't go anywhere wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually think that she's not in on it and that the whole movie is called Logan Lucky. And what I think is interesting is actually the movie itself, the heist, 
things don't just go right. Things go extraordinarily fatefully right for this heist. Like, certainly they pulled off what they wanted to pull off, but so many things happen in their favor. And I kind of like the idea that the whole movie, Adam Driver's character, talks about the Logan family curse and the idea that there actually is no curse because in this moment in time in which any one thing could have gone wrong, everything always landed on the other side of the fence for them. Mm -hmm. And I think the final scene is actually supposed to be a cutesy little moment for Adam Driver in that even this heist can maybe lead him to find somebody. Like, like it would go that right hmm. because she never would have came in contact. Now, do you think that there is a possibility that she's, like, trying to, like, get some information and end up I think the fu- movie like, taking in- them down? Which well, and I that's feel the like- thing. If you read it cynically, yeah. it's the Logan family curse and that but, she's there for that. But at the on the other side of that coin, though, of her... Is is it the point where she just wants to know for sure that that is, and not that she wants yeah. to be a bad person? Not, I guess it's not a bad person. Because no, that's what but her job is, but like take down these people that gave back most of the money and really actually probably need the money more than the racetrack owner does. And yeah, whatever, no, I think so. it's less that she wants to continue doing her job, and more that I think she's kind of an audience surrogate where she sees this thing and she doesn't know how it happened. And what the motive was, so she just kind of needs to know, rather, like like an audience's appetite or uh, insatiable need. Like at the end of Ocean's 12, when Danny literally has to tell the Night Fox, you want to know how I did it, you know. Um, so I definitely think my take is that she's not in on it, but she was drawn into the Logan's orbit because of it, and that in and of itself might be a good thing for everybody. Um, I definitely think the scene itself is played completely ambigu- uh, ambiguously so mm-hmm. anybody with any other ideas just as valid like it's a very bizarre scene I'll, yeah. s- I'll say that much but um, I guess I kind of like that because that scene was almost too cute before she showed up because it's like everybody's in there like Joe Bang Melly's talking to Joe Bang you know um, the two Hick brothers are on that side yeah. who I mean who else is in there everybody the Earl is obviously on the porch yeah Catherine um, Waterston is Catherine Waterston dating. comes meets yeah. um, and mm-hmm. there's even a few more of it I can't think of mm-hmm. I want to say the the criminal who gets out because of a jailbreak who gets paid off is also mm-hmm. at the bar and I might be crazy but I feel like the no, the one with the cake's not in it. But no. there's somebody else who's also only tangentially related that's in it as well. Yeah. And well, they, had to get, they had to get to 11, so, you know. Uh, now I kind of want to count it. <laughs> um, oh, shit. Hold on. God damn it. I might bump it up my rating. if if there, No, no, I'm serious. If there's 11 people around the bar, okay, we're going to do this right now live on air. We've got Adam Driver, mm-hmm. Channing Tatum, Catherine Waterson, Joe Bang, Elvis Presley's granddaughter. That's five. Okay. Now. Got the two brothers. Two brothers. Hillary Swank, Hillary which Swank. is eight. The criminal from the, you know. That's only nine. Okay. But the, I, that's why I know there's at least one more. One or two and If there's more. two more. That's 11. Yeah. All right. We got to go see it again. <laughs> I know there's at least one more. And yeah. I can't remember who? what the other one is. So hmm. that would be pretty fucking amazing, to be honest. <laughs> it would mean absolutely nothing, but I love no, that shit. It just is a little... Yeah. Just a like, little... That would be Soderbergh stroking the tip of my dick. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Ocean 7-Eleven all the way. Yes, That's right. Uh, would it be really weird if like, Dwight Yoakam was just sitting at the bar? I could see it. We don't have beer in this prison. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he just keeps going on with Can that. I say, mm-hmm. we haven't even talked about Dwight Yoakam, really, but his extended Game of Thrones breakdown was maybe my favorite comic set piece since Tarantino's Django Unchained. No, we don't have any more bags. Um, like, the escalation and the... Utter, yes, the, the criminal stepping away from the with voice box up. with his hands up in just utter disgust by the idea that George R. R. Martin still has not completed <laughs> The Winds of Winter is just amazing. Um, but the, I, I think my favorite part of that whole ordeal 
is them saying that they've actually found out information about this so that the warden is lying to them. And he's saying, no, I think they may have gotten that from the TV yes. series, which deviates yeah. from the... Yeah, when he says, well, I yeah, I think that inmate is watching the TV series. <laughs> and just, that was fucking amazing. That was honestly, I was laughing too hard. Like, I know when we go see comedies, I, I laugh and whatnot. But I feel like it's rare for me to actually, like, lose control of... Like what I'm laughing at, and that was one of those moments. It was. It was. It was fantastic. It was great. No, that was definitely the funniest moment of the film, in a, in a film that isn't a true Soderbergh comedy. No, and I think that moment lands so hard because it wasn't tipping his hand before that moment, where it wasn't trying to be that funny. Mm-hmm. I think certainly there are a lot of great uh, growers, not showers, and some of those lines, like yeah. the. Uh, the way Adam Driver says cauliflower, like like every time he says it, it just gets more and more ridiculous and pronounced. Um, little things like that that are not fall down funny, but s- well, definitely grows. There are there are a lot of actions throughout this film that are actually funny, which I think is yeah. something that's going to drive my rating up a little bit on, on rewatches, which is a pretty classic Soderbergh thing, is just having small things that you have to actually watch to enjoy. Uh, and it's just the way that he's looking at uh, he's uh, Adam Driver is looking at Channing Tatum when the uh, judge says that. Well, <laughs> taking into account your juvenile, yeah. we previously found out about this, and he's just looking at him like "fuck yeah. you." And that is literally followed up by the cop who just stares at his handcuffs because he doesn't know how, oh. to, how to cuff a one-handed man. <laughs> Especially because okay, and that's another moment of like a joke evolving because it's funny enough that he's staring at Adam Driver like what do I do? But then the fact that he would just stare at another cop like he would actually have an answer instead of just like just going with the flow like that that was great. Yeah. Nobody in my theater in the second viewing laughed at Joe Bang telling Adam Driver that he's going to need a hand in the bathroom when they're escaping and was very upset in the population of this town because that's a very funny joke. Yeah. Now, there are a lot of those sprinkled throughout the you film. You mean this one? <laughs> that was a very horrible, Adam. Thank you. Uh, that was a very horrible Joe Bang impression. So. I know, but I couldn't really get that high, so I just wanted to like try to at least drive home the laugh. Hmm. Well, it was an attempt, so that's all you can really go for. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That's the nicest thing anyone has ever said to me. Oh, that's not good. Anything else you want to discuss? or No, we can go to final ratings. Okay. Well, I'll go first, since uh, you probably have a little bit more to say than I. Uh, I enjoyed this film, and I will need to see it again probably multiple times, although I don't think this is a film that I will be watching in marathon form, uh, as I have with previous films, the entire Ocean series I have. I've done that with The Informant and Behind the Candelabra. I don't necessarily think I will do that with Logan Lucky ever, but... Never say never with uh, Soderbergh because he's got a certain uh, certain way about his scripts, the way he shoots a film, the way he puts it all together, the way it's edited. Um, there's just something that's compulsively watchable about his films. And um, I don't think this is his best work. I, this is probably pretty low in the rankings of the, of the films that I've seen of his, at least on the first pass through. Um, so I only gave this a three out of five, but I still think this is definitely a worthy film that uh, is is worth the two hours of time it takes to watch it. And I, I think there's a lot of very solid performances that are not loud and showy, but um, Adam Driver is great. And uh, also Daniel Craig, I thought was fantastic as Joe Bang, but Riley Keough, Channing Tatum, um, even Dwight Yoakam, who's just playing the pretty normal Dwight Yoakam character. Also, Soderbergh is really good, I think, at casting children. Okay. Um, I thought the little girl, because like something like like the nice guys, where um, Shane Black, you know, you have that mm-hmm. one girl who like. I think a lot of directors go for that type of child actor, and sometimes that is actually perfect. Like I think she's she's great in that movie, mm-hmm. but at Soderbergh somehow always casts children that seem like children. Like no matter like how funny they might be or how whatever, like they feel like they just walked on the set, and there's something kind of perfect about his child casting. Anyway. Yeah. And that actually has a little bit of a Little Miss Sunshine moment at the very end where she starts to sing the song that her, her daddy likes and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's it's cute. So, yeah, a three out of five for me on the first pass for Logan Lucky, which is uh, definitely uh, worthwhile. So, go ahead, Nick. Logan Lucky. 
very much enjoy this film. It is actually one of one of I think Soderbergh's better outings. Not one of his best, but um, I think he's basically firing on all cylinders here. Um, the thing that I'm always going to remember uh, moving forward is the uh, scene in which uh, the daughter sings "Country Roads" uh, by John Denver, because that felt like Magic Mike esque fucking chill vibes where you just have a child singing John Denver and then an entire auditorium joining her because why not? Even though it's supposed to be a competition, it's like fuck the rules and whatnot. And I actually like what that scene okay, outside of its character context which it actually does have some because of course the father, Channing Tatum's there to see it uh, which <sighs> wonderfully doubles as both an alibi for where he was that night but also as a moment for him to realize that he doesn't he just needs to be wherever she is, which is, of course, his decision to move across state lines. Um, that whole moment, though, I thought was kind of emblematic emblematic of the movie at large because she's not a very good singer, and so she starts singing a song that everybody knows, especially in West Virginia. Um, and so for the whole auditorium to just start singing regardless, because A, it's too catchy not to, and B, almost as if, like, to help her, so that way you don't have to focus too much on her singing. Like, that's what this mo- uh, moment, like, this, kind of like, that's what this movie felt like. A bunch of good-hearted people helping each other out to get something done and not trying to... I guess looking past the superficial flaws of a certain caricature and stereotype. So I'm a big fan of this movie in general. I'm going to give it four out of five, but I honestly don't think it needs to be any different. Like, it's just, there may be a ceiling on how much one can enjoy it, but like, man, it is just nonstop fun for me. And I could see myself raising my rating if I just keep watching it again and again, which I pretty much plan on doing. Hmm. So I think it's extremely enjoyable, and if you like heist movies, you owe it to yourself to try it. Good stuff. So if you have any thoughts out there on Logan Lucky or just Steven Soderbergh in general, you can always send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Going to keep with the theme is uh, the theme of this entire year pretty much has been new films, so let's keep going with that. And talk about a film that got great uh, reviews early on uh, as it finished at Con, and also has gotten great reviews from critics since then, and is uh, going to have a pretty wide release in the theaters now, and that is the film titled Good Time, which stars Robert Pattinson and also has appearances by Jennifer Jason Lee, and also in a much smaller uh, thing, uh, Barkhad Adopt. Adby or Adabi, the guy who plays the the captain in Captain Phillips. Oh yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Love that guy. He's the captain. He is. Yeah. He's the captain now. This guy who has no acting experience, but you know was driving a cab and someone had to come pick him up to take him to the Oscars because he's not an actor and he's just a poor black guy. So glad to see that he's at least getting a chance in some other films other than a thing where he's, um, you know, a little bit of typecast as a Somali pirate. Yeah, I mean, the last thing I saw him in was Eye in the Sky, where he played a a native of whatever country they were in, so mm-hmm. now I'm racist. But um, <laughs> clearly, people are not... Uh, I don't know, like, there's something to be said about, like, plucking somebody out of maybe some impoverished uh, land, and then just, like, <laughs> releasing them back without thinking of the repercussions of, you know... of what you've done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you have no actual like contingency to follow through on something like that, because yeah. it's not that it's not valid for him to act. It totally is. But he was in a movie with Tom Hanks. You'd think maybe he would have been slightly better taken care of. Yeah. Well, so. He's at least gotten an opportunity since then, which is better than other people have had who have just True. been sprung into a roles because they happened to be a black African and then they were sent back to the forest. So anyways, but this film... Can we talk about the white Africans that are getting just too many breaks in Hollywood? <laughs> thank you for that. So Robert Pattinson, who is not a white African, thank you. He's holding up the Maurice box for what? more no, Planet of the Apes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Robert Pattinson stars in this film, which... Uh, centers around a bank robbery. Uh, it also is apparently 
all about Neon, uh, which has just been a big-time Hollywood thing here recently. I'll eat it up. I'm sure you will. So we will uh, be checking that out and reporting back on that coming up on our next episode. You can always find us at Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can also find our episodes on FilmTankShow.com or on iTunes as well at Film Tank Show. Nick Cheney, thank you very much, as always, sir. No, thank you. Oh, thank you. From myself, Alex Diegman, thank you very much for catching up with us here at Film Tank, and we'll catch up with you again next time. Thank <laughs> you.